0: and you are listening to Free Exchange, a production of the Badger Institute. In today's episode, we're discussing education, charter schools, and different ways we can go ahead and empower our students through good times and bad times, natural disasters, and everything in between. This is one heck of a show. In this episode, our president, Mike Nichols, will be interviewing Coleston Morgan, Jr. Coleston is a Harvard graduate and currently serves as the director of policy and advocacy at City Ford Collective. A Milwaukee native, Coleson returned home in 2018 after spending a decade in New Orleans. He started his career as a social studies teacher while serving as a 2007 Teach for America Corps member. Later, he spent his time working in the state superintendent's office of performance and accountability at the city of New Orleans and the Orleans Pear School Board, recently also serving as the district's chief strategy officer. During this time, uh, he led the charter school authorization and portfolio coordination at the state-level legislative affairs. Colesta most notably led development and implementation of the district's successful effort to unify governance of New Orleans' system of public schools after more than a decade of state control in the wake of Hurricane Katrina and its practices, becoming a national leader in the charter school authorization practice. And now, on to the interview.
1: We're here with uh, Causton Morgan Jr. He's the director of policy and advocacy for City Forward Collective. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Been looking forward to this uh, conversation for, I guess, a month or so. We've never met before in person, so this is uh, this is cool to actually be in person after the pandemic. We talked on the phone a few times, but uh, this is a chance to uh, really uh, talk face to face, which I think is always better.
2: It is nice to be in a 3D live.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today is education in wisconsin and probably specifically in milwaukee and i just found out again in the last month that when you talk about public charter schools versus traditional public schools you're kind of a national authority on this had a lot of experience down in new orleans which is now the first major city correct me if i'm wrong cleston that has transitioned from traditional public schools to virtually all, not virtual schools, but virtually all public charter schools. Is that accurate? That that
2: is accurate. Um, 100% plus or minus depending on the year.
1: Okay. And you had a lot to do with that, which I really want to talk about. And then I want to try to understand why that occurred, whether it's been a good thing, whether it'd be a good model for here. But I first just wanted to kind of Figure out how you ended up down there From here and why you're back So you're a Milwaukee guy
2: I am, I was born and raised in in Sherman Park uh, Just around the corner from St. Joseph. So started Educationally at at Elm Creative Arts School Um, Is that that the one on Wisconsin Avenue there? Uh, That is the one on Walnut Walnut, okay The whole thing has changed since I came back But sort of a couple blocks away from what is now Pfizer (laughs) 4 Yeah It started there And uh, had a great elementary school experience. Um, My mother exercised choice, uh, you know, in sort of the early days of of choice and said uh, she wanted a different option for me for middle and high school, so I went out to University School of Milwaukee. That's where I graduated from in in 2003. Hey, when you say choice, you know, people
1: use that in in different ways, right? Like, and I'm a lot older than you are but yeah. but no, but I, back in the yeah. day we talked about choice as vouchers as vouchers
2: sure no that's that's fair i mean choice in the sort of broader sense of the term my mom said you know she wasn't finding the right fit for me uh within the, within the traditional public school system we were fortunate to sort of be in a position where we could you know certainly wish some sacrifice but make a choice to attend a private school instead that's the sort of the, the broader definition of choice I, I realize it's got a specific meaning here in milwaukee too
1: yeah so you went to high school uh, at university school? Yes. Okay.
2: Uh, high school led me to Harvard University is where I did my undergraduate work. Um,
1: so you went to Boston?
2: I did, uh, or Cambridge, as, as, as I would say. Um, along the way, Katrina happened. Um, I was, must have been between my sophomore and junior year. Okay, so
1: in 2005, I, yes. you were 20
2: Yes, and, or so. And so that is sort of what peaked or started my, my interest in New Orleans. I had gone on a... You know, sort of one of the immediately right after the storm trips, you know, gutting houses, you know, working with individual families that had been through um, literally hell and high water.
1: So you were down there in September of 2005 as a Harvard student yeah. who just had a chance to go and work on there. in Right after the hurricane in right. the in the fall,
2: right right after I think we think our trip was December Decemberish, but okay. sort of, I was there the week that the uh, Lower Ninth Ward opened up the families, which okay. was about three months after the storm, okay. um, and that was just a, a deeply impactful experience. I, I remember coming back, and it, it took me a month to find the words to sort of express just the the pain and the struggle um, that that I saw and. That led me to want to to deepen my engagement in New Orleans. I went back again for a spring break service trip. I went back again to work there in the summer. And, uh, you know, sort of through that process, realized that at least that's where I wanted to start my career and dedicate some time. Um, And so ultimately, was fortunate enough to be selected to join the Teach for America Corps. Um, Great in that sort of first year that they were starting to rebuild the school system
1: there. Yeah, so the hurricane was really a transformative event. I mean, obviously for New Orleans, but also for you. I happened to be down there the week after the hurricane. Mm -hmm. Back in a different life, I was a columnist for the Journal Sentinel here, and I went to New Orleans and wrote about it. And uh, wow, I mean, the devastation was just overwhelming there. And you know, I wasn't primarily interested in the schools, but the schools really at that time, but the schools really were closed down, at least initially, right?
2: For a good six months. I mean, as I said, I was there in December or January, yeah. and residents were seeing their homes for the first time since August in, in some cases. So it, you know, it really wasn't until you know a, a few schools opened their doors in November, a few more opened over the course of the spring, but it wasn't really until a year after yeah. that you know, a school system as such started to, to operate again. Did you decide at that point that
1: maybe you wanted to, I, mean, I know you eventually went into Teach for America, we're giving a little background on you right now, is that when you made the decision that, hey, that might be something to do sort of post-graduation from Harvard?
2: So I had been thinking about education but beforehand, I had done some you know sort of summer camp, tutoring work, uh, honestly going back to my time in high school here, but you know, throughout much of my college career, um, I think sort of... The place became clear, clear to me first, that New Orleans was the place where I wanted to do work. Um, and then the path to being in that place you know, became Teach for America for me. So you taught originally? I did. I taught uh, sort of timely for this moment. I taught civics in what was then called free enterprise and world history uh, at Carver High School, which was a, uh, our, the original school location is in the upper ninth ward. Uh, but at the time, the school was actually located in the lower ninth ward. Uh, so I literally, you know, sort of drove into and in, in through the Lower Ninth Ward on, on my way to school every day for for a year and a half. Well, I'd love to talk
1: about uh, your experiences teaching free enterprise uh, because that's something that we believe in here. But maybe that's a topic for another day. Yeah, we can save that one. For so an we can, cheaper, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll have you back. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll tape yeah. another one after this one's over, question. <laughs> so, so you taught for just for just a little while though, yes. And then and then you transitioned into. Uh, really, more sort of macro school stuff.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, the experience of teaching civics, you know, literally sitting behind the 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 failed levy, and you know, the the inside perspective that our students had about the system and the ways in which the system had failed them, you know. Very acutely, very literally. Here's the gaping hole that, that, re- that yeah. represents
1: the failure. So the failures of the of the school system, yeah. but also like the levy, like infrastructure yeah, failed. The, the, the
2: broader, you know, like, you know, government failed. You know, and and you know, it's sort of at once both a good entry point to the importance of government and what it looks like when it's done right, and what can ha- where the consequences when it's not done right. Uh, yeah, but,
1: cliche, but like what a teaching moment, man. Yeah,
2: right? Yes. No, literally, let's step outside and look and see. We are in these trailers and not in a building because of these failures um you know and and you know in in their sort of 14 15 16 year old way you know students had incredibly insightful perspective on that uh but for me you know i there was joy in the classroom um but there's so much else that was just going on around me and i wanted to understand and try to have some path to having impact sort of beyond that classroom The, the kids i was with I love them, I love the classroom, being able to teach and share and, and walk them through. I, I I was a civics teacher through the two thousand eight election, which, you know, regardless of one's politics, just as a matter of sort of the the moment that the country was going through, um, you know, sort of narrating and, and shepherding students through that experience and sort of coming into their political consciousness, that was awesome. Yeah. Um but for me I wanted to sort of look at it it all left me wanting more. It left me wanting, you know was there a way for me to have a broader impact or an impact in a different way and at, a, at sort of a different level of the system from the lens of having been in the classroom? And so that's what sent me to policy school and, and ultimately, you know, in, into education policy and education administration.
1: Yeah, because you eventually went to grad school. You went to the University of Chicago and then worked for 10 years in New Orleans and came back here, which I want to talk about a little bit more <laughs> yeah, in yeah. a minute. But let me just back up to talk about New Orleans and and. What things were like, sort of pre pre Katrina, right? Because uh, I don't want to try to extend the comparison too far to what has happened in MPS, let alone elsewhere in Wisconsin, you know, different places for reasons you can maybe fill us in on. Yeah. But that was a troubled school district even pre Katrina.
2: Certainly, you know. I- Maybe the you know the, the way we oftentimes start this story sort of you know recovery and recovery school district which was the state school district that that took over many of the schools after the storm it was not a recovery from the hurricane it was it actually had been created a couple years before and it was intended to be recovery from academic failure you know the um, you know sort of different people different versions of the story you know but what you had were you know a, a lot of dedicated committed teachers. Um, and educators working in a system that was utterly broken down. And, um, you know, sort of you you name the version of the, of the story that, that you want to name, and you could probably find an example of it. Um, you know, but, you know, the system couldn't hold superintendent. Performance was, you know, I think, 62nd or 63rd of, out of all districts in the state. Um, you know, and you know, Louisiana was not itself... Um, you know, anywhere, anywhere near the near the top of any education measures. Like, you know, by v- most measures, this was one of the most troubled urban school systems in the country, and that's saying something considering the state of urban school districts um, across
1: the country. So the recovery school district—I I didn't realize this till I did a little bit of reading actually prior to being able to sit down with you because I thought it was a post katrina thing. It existed before Katrina. Was it initially a, a state entity, Colestin? Yes.
2: It. it, it, it it was, I believe, it continues to exist in, in some form even now. So it, it had always had been a state-governed entity that was intended to be, you know, essentially a receiver um, for, you know, the most academically distressed schools in, in Louisiana, you know, originally targeted in New Orleans and in different iterations in different ways. has done some work elsewhere in the state since that point in time. But, you know, that, that was... That had always been sort of a state-created, state-controlled entity, and the idea was that these schools needed to be removed from the jurisdiction of their local school district uh, in order for recovery or an academic intervention.
1: Yeah, so that probably happened when you were were still a teenager when that happened. I mean, the (laughs) politics of that must have been interesting, right? Like, when is the state... Decide that it can or should intervene in a local school district, in local okay. politics, in local decisions, and you know there's often been discussion of that here. Like when when does the state intervene in a place like MPS? Where, from my perspective, at least, um, boy, uh, a lot of kids, a lot of kids, not getting the education that they deserve.
2: You know, and it's probably worth noting. Initially, the recovery district, you know, it was a very you know, the, the bar for entry was such that. You know, only a few schools, even in a very troubled school district, were going to make it in, in any given year. I think they had they were in the process of the second or third um, school transition when the storm hit. So you know, it, you know, if there's a story to be told about
0: the,
2: uh, about the hurricane, it's about the acceleration of that strategy okay. or a pivot against that strategy, as opposed to you know, it, it wasn't sort of a created in whole cloth, you know, in 2005, but we had this thing, how can we leverage this thing or how can we use this thing in this moment of crisis and how does it allow us an opportunity to think differently?
1: If you have a failing uh, urban school district, whether it's New Orleans or Milwaukee or anywhere else in America, does there have to be some type of outside intervention, some type of state intervention, or can it just happen solely locally?
2: Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, question. And, you know, I think... Sort of in the first five or ten years after Katrina, when people were watching New Orleans, I think that was one of the lessons people tried to take away. And you saw, you know, state takeover models and recovery district models yeah. um, exported to a number of other states. Um, you know, and I think the, the research is mixed, but generally, if you look, it, the model of having the state directly operate a district of schools. Um, Hasn't proven to be as successful in other places. I think what you need is political will, right? And I think you know the hurricane created a moment of political will, right? The floodwaters in wealthy wider parts of New Orleans were just as deep as the floodwaters in in the Lower Ninth Ward, uh, you know, a, a, a poor and historically black part of the city. You, you you had you know sort of across ideology, across racial or, or ethnic lines, you know, an understanding of like. This is a moment which we have we have all experienced something unprecedented at that point in time, um, and you know you had a Democratic governor originally, right? The original legislation was signed by Kathleen Blanco, who was you know Democratic's governor at the time. You had a Republican legislature. You had you know sort of seems like a quaint concept these days, but the notion of sort of bipartisanship in response to a disaster, um, you know I think the hurricane created the political conditions for a rapid expansion or rapid rapid change. Um, you know, and maybe not even so much the hurricane, so much as the aftermath that was left after the hurricane, coupled with that recognition I was talking about before that, you know, there was a role for government to play here, and we've got to find what that right role is. Um, that role can't be nothing, but it probably doesn't look the same as what it was. Before. Yeah.
1: So what has happened, in other words, in the, with the transformation of schools in New Orleans, and and there are positives and negatives that we need to talk about, and sure. whether it's plateaued and whether it's been a good thing, but but that that what's happened wouldn't have happened. Fair to say without Katrina, absent Katrina?
2: Certainly, you know, I I I, I want to be careful here. Katrina was a tragedy. I, I, I don't want I don't want the message here to be you need a hurricane in order to change your school system. Um, I do think that you know disasters of whatever sort have a way of sort of focusing you on what's important, and I think that happened. Um, and they have a way of creating sort of a different set of conditions or maybe shaking up a status quo. That certainly happened in New. So, you know, would it have happened? You know, it's hard to, hard to, hard to say in a counterfactual way, um, but there are certainly aspects of it that, you know, accelerated the set of conditions that were necessary for dramatic change to happen.
1: Right. And is the pandemic in any way similar? Again, again, not uh, in any way trying to minimize the tragedy of, yeah. of the pandemic for, you know, so many people in so many ways, but... Has the pandemic created a different situation, perhaps even an opportunity for transformation educationally, um, in in any similar way,
2: or not? It's an interesting question. It's one I've been reflecting a lot on. Uh, you know. I've got uh, two young girls. Um, How old are your girls? They are four and seven. Okay. Um, now and so. You know, so they're in school, or one they, of them's in school. They 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 are both in school, which is you know sort of you know I was sort of thrown back into the teacher role like so many others at the start of. the- You program. taught them at home. Yeah, for we, a while we, we had them at home for a while. They you know we've been fortunate that their school was in person for most of um, the last school year. Um, but even with that, you know, the, just the insight and perspective that that I think we were able to gain, you know, you know, when they were at, at home virtually for periods of time, when we had to teach them over the course of last um, spring, you know, I think a lot of parents have gained a new insight uh, and new perspective about both, you know, one how hard it is to be a teacher, yeah, um, but also, you know. What is and what isn't happening in, inside of their schools, and inside of their school systems, and so in that way, um, I, I, I do wonder if coming off of, coming out of you know, the pandemic into whatever this new normal we're going to be living into is, um, if there is a moment of opportunity, a moment where we see people you know sort of understanding, reengaging with the, with the education system, realizing that, that you know. There is both a special gift and talent that is to be a teacher, but also realizing that you know no one's perfect and no one's infallible, and there like th- there are good reasons to question many of the assumptions. I think that sometimes we take for granted about how things are, and maybe that's not the way things need to be moving forward. So yeah, yeah so I, I, th- I think it creates a moment
1: for sure. I mean, I want to talk about bigger issues like uh, New Orleans and and Milwaukee, but but yeah. this is important actually. I mean, here you are, you were a teacher and frankly like super well educated right so if anybody's going to be able to help their kids at home and be comfortable with it you know maybe it would be you like you could homeschool your kids I'm guessing are you saying though that you had this realization that even you didn't you know, fully appreciate the value of in-person, in-school bricks-and-mortar learning, or am I misconstruing no, you're, you're not. what you're so, saying?
2: So my, my wife and I are both teachers. Um, oh, okay. And but, is, is your wife still a, a teacher? Uh, no, she's, she, we're both still in education, but okay. neither of us teach anymore. But, you know, we, we sort of had a day where, like, you know, we, we looked at each other like, okay, we need a lesson plan. And, you know, you're going to take this kid, you're going to take this kid. You know, my older daughter at that point in time was sort of in the middle of her learning to read process neither one of us were, were English teachers or teachers of reading. She taught middle school, I taught high school. So we had to go figure out how to like sort of, you know, complete the unfinished learning, right? Which is a yeah. term you hear people talking about in terms of, you know, supporting her through her reading journey, supporting her through her, you know, my my younger daughter has now picked up how to read sort of in, in the end stages of the pandemic, I, I, I presume because she was, you know, with us every evening when we were, you know, teaching, reading and working on books. So, you know, and, you know, even for, her and I, you know, we were fortunate we could draw on our your backgrounds as an educator. We 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 certainly yeah. knew, knew what we were talking about. But even for us, like, it, it, and then trying to do that and also work, right? Yeah. And trying to do that and also,
3: yeah,
1: know, yeah. Deal yeah. No, with I I'm like I'm really ahead. interested in this because I think this is germane to our conversation about the realization that parents have had about schools that were closed versus open. So I just so, and I I I will confess. I mean, I I my wife and I have three kids, but they're a lot older, yeah. and we were we were just saying continuously I just I can't even imagine trying to teach our kids at home for a year I mean it just I feel like maybe I'm really proud of my kids and all that stuff and I feel like maybe the path for them actually maybe would have been a little different if they were saddled with me for a year instead of going to school now i presume you would not feel that way because you're an educator but do you think there was a widespread realization um or frustration with uh from coming from parents whose kids were in essence locked out of schools in in some yeah, places where so- and they had neighbors who maybe had kids here's my bias in public charter schools or private, you know, but, but voucher funded schools that were open. I mean, and I think, I think that has created a dynamic, please tell me if you disagree for parents who all of a sudden realized that, man, we need these schools to be open. And there's a difference between some schools and other schools that are not.
2: No, I, 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 I don't think you're wrong about that at all. You know, my, my, my kid's school, you know, made a pivot in, within the space of a couple of weeks. You know, we had at least half a day of virtual instruction. It needed some guidance and support, because a three-year-old in front of a computer all day is hard to pull off. Um, you know, I, I talked about sort of the role that my wife and I had to play, but we had a ton of support. We were getting resources from school. We were talking to our teachers if we needed if we needed, you know, transition you know, by, by the summer they'd figured out how to get kids back in person. And so, you know, for most of the pandemic, our kids were, were you know, in person, sort of with the quarantine and ins and outs. And, you know, you know, I'm, I mean, it, you were either smarter, lucky, right? Yeah, you right, got I'm your kids- I'm grateful you, you, for what they did. You but, know. you know, I, I, you know, I also know from my sort of work experience at the same time, right? You know, for a number of families, you know, that first month, month and a half, there may have been nothing, right? Yeah. Um, there may have been no contact of teachers at all. There may have been, you know, worksheets, you know, which better something than nothing, but a worksheet absent any guidance. You know, like I, I think about my even my 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 seven year old, she's a fairly independent learner, but you know, I had to sit down and walk through instructions of her and like, you know, you know, understanding the concepts behind what she was doing. You know, I don't think she would have gotten nearly as much out of it if we weren't, you know, we weren't in the position to give her the time and attention that she needed and she had access to her teachers. So we call this free
1: exchange and we're really proud of the podcast. So we so we try to have a conversation where you know, I'll just say some stuff that you'll probably disagree with, and you could you could just just tell me. Yeah. You know, if we disagree, but um, I actually did a, a story for our magazine recently about sort of what has happened over the past thirty years in MPS, and this this is relevant to what we're talking about sure, here, sure. right? And it used to be, of course, that you had hundred thousand kids, and if you were going to send your kid to a public school in Milwaukee, you send them to MPS traditional public schools, and now that has much of that has changed because, as we talked about before, we now have you know vouchers, and we have a variety of public charter schools, which you're an expert on and we have open enrollment and we used to have chapter 220 and all that stuff so now it's gone down and we have 66,000 or so kids who are who are you know, different ways to count it but who are basically in schools that are controlled by the school board by the MPS school board and then you have you know over 50,000 kids in um, you know in other types of schools and and most of those other types of schools you know a lot of them are public charter schools and some of them are instrumentality, and some of them are not instrumentality. Some of them are are, uh, are are independent. But I feel like there's been uh, a real a real realization uh, among you know people in neighborhoods where you have kids going to a whole variety of different schools that uh, for some reason. You know the the school board and MPS locked kids out of schools, and that that's really detrimental. And that maybe there is uh, some opportunity for in a variety of ways in some of these other other types of 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 schools, and that people are maybe going to come to that or are coming to that realization. And uh, you know that you know maybe now is a time to really take a closer look at how we make sure that people know those opportunities are out there and transition into public charter schools.
2: Yes, uh, you know, I, I would say two things, uh, neither of which are are, are are in disagreement. You know, the, the first is that, you know, it's worth acknowledging, like, the pandemic threw a curveball at everyone, and, you know, MPS wasn't alone amongst districts, MPS wasn't alone amongst charter or private schools, right, in in having to negotiate and navigate a set of challenges that none of us had anticipated. Um you know, certainly not in the exact form that they came to us, certainly not at the time frame that they came to us. You know, everybody made mistakes, and I think any school would tell you, you know, in you know, to the extent that they're sort of even in this moment able to exercise hindsight, I wish I would have done X or Y or Z, or had, you know, nobody got this right. Um, the, the The second thing that I will say, though, is that I think that, you know, I, I sort of was watching from afar what's happening in New Orleans, even as we were trying to figure things out here in Milwaukee, Um, And I do think that there is something to be said for the nimbleness and the flexibility that, you know, charter-like autonomies offer you. You know, schools, even here in Milwaukee, if you look at, you know, many of our, you know, charter and many of our voucher schools were able to make these pivots. You know, some stayed virtual, some came in person earlier, some came in person later, but they were able to make different pivots based on the specific needs of their school communities. sort of a, I hate to use the word experiment, but sort of an interesting natural experiment um, to,
0: to see what happened in that way. Folks, I'm interrupting real quick just to go ahead and remind you that productions like this are only able to exist because of your support from people just like you from throughout the state of Wisconsin and throughout the nation. And if you're getting value from this program, what we're hoping is maybe you'll want to go ahead and give some value back, really exercise that free enterprise system that we truly believe in to spread this message throughout the world, really. Because that's the amazing thing about the internet. But how can you do so? Today, I've gone ahead and brought in my friend and colleague, our Director of Development here at the Badger Institute, Angela Smith. Angela, for people that want to go ahead and take that next step, maybe they're a first time donor, maybe they want to go ahead and just learn more about how they can support us as an organization, how could they do so?
3: Absolutely. Thanks for uh, asking. Real quick, um, the Badger Institute has been around for three decades. We are a driving force really to protect individual liberties in Wisconsin, ensuring opportunity and prosperity for all Wisconsinites. And we are grateful for donations of any support um, in any amount. Um, Truly, your support really does make a difference at any level. There's a couple of ways you can donate. You can go ahead and go on our website, which is badgerinstitute.org. There's a donate button right on the front homepage there. Click donate, and it gives you a couple of different options. You can pay securely online. Um, Another option is you can send us a check. Our mailing address is right there on the website, and um, you can send a check here to the office. We would be very grateful for any donation. Again, really does help um, protect individual liberties, limited government in our state, and our goal is to make Wisconsin the freest and most prosperous. State in the nation, we can really only do that with your help.
0: Absolutely, and and the message of these ideas, the message of liberty, is a universal language that hopefully you can be a part of in spreading to those that want to discover more. So that's all I've got. Let's go ahead and get right back to the show.
1: I want to come back to Milwaukee in the end, but let me just transition back to New Orleans. Sure. Just just uh, ask you a, a basic question. It has transitioned from, and I want to talk about the process a little bit, too, if yes. we can get your expertise on that, but it has transitioned, as we said before, from traditional public school model to primarily public charter schools, right? Mm-hmm. But are there also, uh, is there also some type of voucher program, though? Because obviously, there were always a lot of kids in New Orleans who went to private schools. Yes. So did, was there some type yeah, of similar so voucher think, thing there yeah, as well?
2: Yeah, so there, they're, they're, you know, I think... There's always top five or top ten in terms of number of students who are in private school systems. There's a you know robust Catholic school um, system in particular. Uh, there is a voucher program. It is you know substantially smaller in scale. You know, a couple thousand students. Uh, you know, sort of New Orleans total enrollment is about half of Milwaukee's. Okay, sixty thousand kids, 50, 50, 60,000 kids sort of all in. Um, and you know, of which maybe three or 5,000 were accessing uh, voucher programs at different points in time. There was a significant expansion of the program that happened sort of along the way, 2011, 2012, okay. uh, under Governor Jindal. Um, it, you know it, it, it was part of the landscape but it was never you know it, it's much more a part of our landscape here in Milwaukee than than it, okay. than it was in New Orleans, but but it is part of the part of yeah. the picture there
1: i think i've already betrayed my bias but i think it would be great if we had more um, you know public charter schools that are independent or Uh, non-instrumentality right like are not run by mps so that's just my opinion um i think that would be a good thing here but has it been a good thing in in new orleans in retrospect so my understanding is just from reading like like Cleston, i will confess like gave me some homework and i did do it right like i I, I can tell i did read i did i did read the background um but you know like this this has been this is a good thing up to a point but it's also sort of there been some there were there Pretty dramatic gains. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sort of plateaued in some ways with some metrics in the last five or six years. So it's not, um, you know, an absolute, you know, an absolute victory just because they're all public charter schools. But tell me, tell me, tell me if it's basically been a, a good thing. Yeah. You not know, if there's a big gray area, big, you know, big,
2: big hard question to answer. You know, here, here's, you know, I, I would say, you know kind of like the state takeover thing, you know, I think the charter thing has occupied a lot of space and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm certainly a fan of charters. You're, you're not going to hear me uh, uh, critique them, but I, but I think it's helpful maybe to pull apart sort of one step further. What about charter schools or what about that construct um, led the progress? Yeah. You know, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the work uh, that, that Doug Harris and the education research Alliance for New Orleans had, had has done. They have a set of conclusions, you know, and, the, and you know, they ident- They've tried to sort of partial out in sort of the economist way, um, you know, what led to the gains, and you know, uh, some of that, a lot of that, you know, they attribute to the ability to close poor performing schools, coupled with the ability to ensure that students who were in poor performing schools that were closed were transitioned into higher performing schools. And closure, it's not great. It's not great for the students in the building. It's it is hugely disruptive for communities you know, I, I, I certainly am not advocating willy-nilly closure of schools, but, like, that accountability mechanism, that idea that you have to serve kids or there are consequences and those are meaningful and substantial consequences for all of you in this building, you know, that matters. Um, you know, there was more money in, in in the system, you know, about 10 or 12% more. And it, a lot of that, honestly, is sort of administrative expenses. You know, the, the transition to chartering is, um, you know, I think sometimes it's. You mean it you mean it costs more to run the
1: traditional public schools than it did the charter no, schools or um, vice so versa.
2: I think it's probably not so much a matter of it costs more one way or the other as as a matter of money is expended differently, right? So some of the things that maybe the district was spending on that didn't appear to be education spending were now sort of in the books because you you did have more administrators sort of in, in the whole, right? You you know you have a number of charter networks. Um, they each had leadership teams and CEOs and so you, you know, some functions that maybe one person was doing in the district you maybe had five okay. or six right or it was worth the trade-off yeah. right? I had these
1: I had these I had these friends choesstin and yeah. I used to go out and i drink we'd go out you know drinking beers, right and yeah. like so if we had a good conversation going There'd be like you'd have like two or three questions in your head, so you so you put your so you like we would cross our fingers like you know to try to remember (laughs) these these questions, right? So you've raised a couple, and one of them is about funding, and to the extent to which in a a charter school atmosphere, you need private funding to supplement the public funding. But Mm. let me put that one on hold. Okay, keep my fingers crossed and go back to the other question, which was just that: Has it been a good thing this
2: transition to public charter schools? Look, it's students are doing better, inarguably student you know I, I said before I think uh, okay. was, you know the, the the district in the aggregate was sort of at the bottom of of the state rankings in Louisiana it's moved sort of solidly into the middle into the 30s or 40s uh, in in terms of performance um you know I the sort of the headline conclusion from Doug's research um, you know was that you know he couldn't I he couldn't identify another system that had gains at that scale over wow. over that amount of time frame so Inarguably, in terms of student outcomes, yes, it, it, it is better. Um, that came, you know, that came with a lot of costs. That came with a lot of challenges politically and, and otherwise, uh, you know, the, 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 the sort of dislocation of, you know, in, in particular in New Orleans, the black middle class and the number of people who are teachers, like that was a challenge. It's, it still is a challenge, right? Um, and, and that's one that I think the system was late to recognize. Is starting to reconcile itself to now. Um, you know, but that had real both direct consequences and indirect consequences in terms of buy-in. Um, you know, and you're you're right to reference or sort of the you know we're sort of into the second decade of this work. The first decade was you know exponential growth. Um, there was certainly some low hanging fruit to grab, and I think all that was grabbed and then some. Um, you know, th- this is sort of a more mature market, right? The gains are harder to come by in some, res- you know, and to, to some res- to some extent is sort of the victim of your own success um you know you can't you would hope but it's probably not possible to grow at the rate that we were growing at from 2005 to you know 2013-14-15 um in in perpetuity and so you you do see that um that transition but you know i I think there's still you know you can still mark progress and some of this is also a little bit obscured by changes in the state accountability system so it's sort of hard to make direct apples to apples comparisons because there were testing changes along the way and other things but you know certainly a decade of dramatic growth a second decade of at least you know sort of sort of sustained progress although it's, you know a little bit more sort of grounded out you know. um, and you know but a lot of uh, you know a lot of challenges, yeah, that came alongside that, that progress.
1: Yeah, um, man, thanks again so much for coming in and talking to us. Because uh, I know we could talk for three hours. We're we're going to try to talk for less than one. <laughs> I've got I've got my fi- I've got uh, I wish I had more fingers because yeah. I want to talk to you about you know yeah you want to close bad schools right but you got it but you got to have a good alternative like and then the whole issue of the black middle class and I just wanted to pursue that a little bit yeah. and and you know because there's there's an impact there and it's not just with education it's also with jobs. So that's an, that's an interesting issue, and then the whole funding issue. But let me just go back one more time to the process thing, which some people might find boring, but it's super interesting. I mean, yeah. how do we, if we acknowledge that we need more, regardless of what happens with traditional schools and MPS, that we need more good seats in you know public charter schools, right? Especially in my estimation, independent ones and and non instrumentality ones. Um, how do we do that? So can we just talk about process a little bit? I mean, I mean we. You know, so you, so you had this recovery school district, which was a state entity and, and really kind of took over the schools for a while and really took away the power from the local schools. Yeah. Can you just kind of maybe, and you, and I, I just want our, our listeners to know, I mean, you worked for both the state, the equivalent of the Department of Public Instruction, whatever it was called in yes. Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana is that Department of Education. Department yes. of Education. Yep. You worked for the state. You worked, but you also worked at one point uh, f- for, for the city of New Orleans, is my understanding. Correct. And you also worked for, at one point, I guess I guess the local school
2: district. Yes. It, yeah. Before it, it it went away and then came back. Yeah, right. No, Did I get all that right? More more or less. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, a little bit of time at the state department. The majority of my career actually was at the at the local district, and, okay. and within that, sort of the process of uh, you know sort of internal transformation that had to happen at the district to get the district to think about its role differently in order to be able to receive schools back from the state.
1: Okay. And so I. You know, in in here, and so you became a real authority on how to authorize charter schools and who authorized them and then, like, who controls them, the state or local, which are incredibly important issues for us here. And um, big picture question, I mean... I think we have a lot to learn from you here. Is your experience down there probably applicable in ways that maybe would be helpful here? I mean, I presume that's part of the reason you came back yeah, here yeah. and part is part of what you do on policy and advocacy with your current job.
2: Yeah. So I've made reference earlier when we we're talking about the pandemic to some of the challenges and, you know, bureaucracy and, and sort of all the internal um, stuff that districts have to do, right? And that... You know unbundling that took us the better part of two and a half years to actually just get in there understand you know there's literally some black boxes in terms of our finances how were we spending money we didn't quite understand it Um, who who we had in the building what skills what capacities we needed well how that looked different in the system in which we weren't trying to directly run schools we weren't hiring 5,000 teachers right we were managing a set of independent actors that were doing the hiring of teachers, that were doing you know, curriculum selection, those sorts of things. It's just a different set of competencies. And so it required a different staffing model and it required a different financial model. Um, I don't want to undersell the importance of the, the financial aspects of it. You know, one of, you know, sort of one of the, I, I also made mention earlier that we sent a lot of money, you know, 97, 98% of the dollars that came into the district went back out to schools you know small overhead for some legacy pre-Katrina costs and you know we essentially ran on you know what we call the administrative fee uh, of 2% and a couple of sort of random other funds. you also had
1: a lot of money flowing in that wouldn't have come in without Katrina sure and, right? and you
2: know even if i sort of net out the facility side of the conversation where a lot of that Katrina money was in the you know facilities reconstruction project but okay. just sort of think about sort of the operating expenses of the district you know which i think is probably the, the more comparable part here you know we were you know, you know sort of net of everything sending more than ninety five percent of every dollar that we got into the district back out to a school site. Okay. Um, and that's a sea change from how most districts work where a lot of those decisions are made centrally and you know
1: what what do you what do you think in most bigger urban districts or, or even MPS uh, if you know what the percentage is of I, money that's spent on administrative costs versus it, I, you know I, going back out to the schools? I don't know the answer specific
2: to MPS. I know you know uh, different accounting different sort of how you account for things, you know, different people give you a different answer on this but... You know, on the low end, sometimes it's as few as twenty or thirty percent of dollars that, that schools have direct discretion over. You know, in, wow. in, in some districts, they can get over half, but I've I've never heard of anybody much over seventy or seventy-five percent.
1: Wow. Okay. Do you think here if we're going to make um a, make a transition to find a way to get more? Seats, you know, in, in quality charter schools, that there has to be some state intervention. And then, do you think um, I'll just lay it all out there that at some point there would have to be a transition back to local control in some way? Yeah. Is that is that generally the model that we have to we have to explore? So
2: you know, it took state intervention in New Orleans, but you could look to other places like Denver, where you know it, it took state a change in state conditions, but there was never a state takeover okay. over public schools, and you had a significant expansion and significant growth happen there. Um, you know, you could look at Washington, D.C., where you had sort of a charter system set alongside a traditional school district, both of which have demonstrated a, a lot of progress over a sustained period of time. So uh, the, the direct answer to your question is the take a state intervention. Okay. I, I don't know that it does. Um, I do think it takes changes in the conditions. I think, you know, it's going to take changes in the funding, funding conditions, um, you know, our, you know, equal levels of funding. Equal levels of funding. One of the sort of under, under-emphasized parts of the, of the conversation in New Orleans and one of the things that sort of led us directly to transition back to local control was uh, a move to a student-based budgeting formula that all schools in the city, whether they were under the local school district or at that time under the under the recovery school district and state authorization, transitioned to a common funding formula okay. that weighted students based on their needs and sent the same amount of dollars whether a kid was going to school A or school B. That was a huge part of it and sort of the first time that Across those two sectors, people were talking about what does it take to educate a kid, regardless of what school.
1: Yeah, the whole funding issue is a huge one that I hope we can talk about another yeah. day too. And I think there needs to be some uh, change, some legislative change in Madison on how we fund kids um, versus schools, but also um, the differences in how various types of schools are funded. But yes. that's a that's a that's a well known problem that uh, I I, so I we, hope we I hope we can talk yeah, about
3: that, we another day. That just for
1: that one, yeah. <laughs> but in terms of um, you know we have charter authorizers here. I mean. Yeah. And in Milwaukee, Kleston, I mean, it's we have UWM, and um, you know the city is technically able to charter. We have we have uh, the the Office of Educational Opportunity at, at yeah. uh, in the UW system at Madison is able to. Do it. But there aren't very many schools that are chartered statewide outside Milwaukee, is my understanding. Do we have adequate? An ad, you're you're an yeah. authority and authorization. Yeah. Do we have enough authorizers, or do we need a different model uh, yeah, of a, a of a author of authorization?
2: That's a dangerous question. Ask do we have enough? Some some people would say. Yeah. Too many, what what I, what I think what I think we what I think we lack is a vision at the city level and an entity that can own that vision at the city level. You know whatever Sorry. critiques or challenges we want to level at, at MPS, you know that district and its board of school directors, you know, is operating a system that has some charters within it um, that is primarily a traditional sort of traditional public school district as you might see anywhere else in the state. Um, the rest of our landscape is incredibly fragmented, um, and it's not that we have too many or not enough authorizers. It's just that you know, you've sort of got you know, a small pocket of schools that are city authorized, a small pocket of schools that are authorized by UWM, you know uh, OEO to the best of my knowledge. I don't think they've, they, I don't think they've authorized in Milwaukee yet, but you know it's just sort of it's the interests are very hard to align and sort of it's really hard to get your hands around the entirety of the picture. Uh, do you,
1: do you think we need fewer or le- uh, I, uh, authorizers? Do we do? We, Cause I just named three and I don't know if yeah. any others, but are those, is that, is that okay. too
2: many? Do we need one centralized like state authorizer? I don't or? know if it's a centralized state authorizer or if it's, you know, a centralized entity, you know, in, 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 you know, could it be you know something in the mayor's office right that says yep. i'm going to own the vision for education for the city as a whole and nps is a part of that and all these various authorizers are part of that but there are, you know something as simple as like coordinating enrollment timeframes this was a thing a challenge we took on in new orleans you know having to run to 20 or 30 different schools and negotiate 20 or 30 different timelines in order to have options for your for your child yeah
1: yeah interesting as i mean uh, gosh uh Maybe you were out in Boston or something at the time, but, I know but as before. yeah, but I mean, as as you know, I mean, I think and it, maybe it was ten or twelve years ago. I mean, there was an effort when Jim Doyle was governor and Tom Barrett was on board with bringing control back to back to the city to yeah. giving giving the mayor actually more control. Um, and there was some there was some support even uh, with with some um, you know influential state senators. I think Lena Taylor was actually in favor of it, but but of course you know it got shot down because there's all these yeah. competing political interests. So. Um, and
2: it you know. be, like I said. I, I get you know just listing off different cities. Like it could be the mayor. It, like it could be a different version of a, of a school board that actually has its role reset. You know we yeah. had to we had to re, we had to restrain our board from you know, exercising control over in New Orleans over individual schools in order for them to operate as the. Governing entity for the city as a whole, so yeah. the, there, there are different models at different places.
1: Yeah, so jumping back to New Orleans, I hope people can track this, but yeah. you know, they, so they did, they did move back to local control, right? Yes. Like, like it was the schools were maybe this is the poor choice of words, but were given back, whatever. They, they they transitioned back to local control. But how does that work there right now? Because because you have an elected school board now again in in New Orleans, that actually. That actually can, that actually has some control over, but not not very much. Not the same as here over 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 public charter schools, right? But like, how does that work? Yes. How much control do they have? Who authorizes them? Are they really independent? Given the fact that the local school board has control, and that's a great or question. Or some control.
2: Um, so you know, this is this is a lot of the work that I got to do. Actually, um, we were successful in getting legislation passed, uh, Act ninety one. Um, is the name, you know, that that laid out both sort of a very detailed process for transitioning schools from state oversight back, um, laid out a specific set of autonomies or areas where schools or school operators had um, protected rights to make decisions and the district could okay. not intervene. So the school board and the superintendent are the authorizer, and there, there were some sort of administrative shifts in terms of, you know, who had which authority? The superintendent generally makes recommendations. The board holds sort of a, a veto, but it requires a supermajority for the board to exercise that veto against major authorization decisions. Um, there are some sort of guardrails to make sure that the, that there's a market in place. So you know, the, the 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 board and the superintendent are instructed to sort of limit the percentage. Of students of any one operator serving to make sure that there's a, always a market. Interest. Were you
1: actually involved in negotiating that? Yes. Wow, super interesting. That oh. must have been very interesting because, because <laughs> yes, but what yes, I'm hearing, because of what I'm hearing you say, you must be a good negotiator, but, but what I'm hearing you say is, you know, there was this, this decision that, hey, yes, you know, Control to some extent is going to go back to the city because you have to have local control of schools. Yeah. but it's not. But you're not going to have the latitude that you had previously. Well, there are all these these constraints or restraints on what the local the local school district can do. Is that, I, yeah, is that too general?
2: Know, it's not too general. You know, we the sort of different people. I think David Osborne's is probably one who who I hear talk about this the most. Talk about sort of steering versus rowing. The role of the school board was recast as steering the system, set the vision for the system as a whole hold poor actors accountable, either directly to the school board or through the office of the superintendent when they're not meeting performance standards. fairly allocate the resources there are you know some residual duties that it doesn't okay. make sense to park in any any school any but like that's you know the idea is whatever school can do let's have a school do it wherever dollars can get spent closest to kids let's have let's have that happen let me put you on
1: the spot can that work here whether whether we go through this whole transition from the state back to local can that work here where there's a way to still have some local oversight but uh you know rain but 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 ensure that it's a way
2: where there's some
1: true independence for charter yes. schools
2: yes it can it can can certainly work here. can can we empower parents? Can we trust them to make the right decisions for their kids? Yes, and I think in lots of respects we already have here. Can we empower educators and trust them to make the right decisions for the students who are entrusted to their care? Yeah, I think we can do that too. and and in both respects, I think we you know, like we can see that operating in our city today. It's just that we haven't sort of put together the system construct, you know or updated maybe our system construct to support what's already going on in many ways, especially, as you've mentioned before, in, in our in our charter and in our voucher in of choice schools.
1: And, and what about the role of private funding? I'm just going to throw a bunch of questions at yeah, you yeah. here because we don't have you forever. I mean, you know, the people who are really involved in successful charter schools will say that, you know, yeah, it's great, but we're always competing for the same money because, it's, because yeah, there's some public money flowing to charter schools, but it's not enough because it's not the same as what MPS gets. So there's, you know, and there are people you know, there are people who have money and are so invested in this issue. And, um, you know, there's Good-hearted people of means, but people, but but you have all these charter schools fighting for the same money. And I've had people say that to me. Is is, is that always going to be the way? I mean, is there always? How about in New Orleans? I mean, are they still relying these charter schools on a lot of private funding, or does it matter which school you're talking about?
2: Well, this is where I said those funding forms that we did before the transition back were were incredibly important. You know, there's always going to be a role and place for private philanthropy. I don't, I don't mean to discredit that. But you know, I, you know, I think right now in Milwaukee, depending on how you want to account for it, you, know, you could get to upwards of four thousand or five thousand dollars as a per people difference, depending on which system a student is in, that's not sustainable, Yeah, you know, and, and, especially for, you know, students in our, in our private school system. You're saying you need more public funding uh, yeah, for yeah, charter you, schools.
1: You, so it's you, maybe you, at least on the same yeah, par, the same you level. You got to at least get to parity yeah. And, yeah. and, and,
2: and we are nowhere near that. And, and, you know, that, that is definitely, you know, it's sort of hard to make the comparison because there's no district to make the comparison to in New Orleans, you know, but that per people funding level is, you know, a couple of thousand dollars higher, um, or was a couple thousand h- dollars that higher there before um, the pandemic when I left um, than it is here now. So there's a funding gap that we need to make up, uh, especially in our charter and our and sector.
1: Yeah. Can you just, um, before we close out here, just uh, give me just a little bit of your vision here about what needs to happen? And unfortunately, we've only been able to talk about MPS. There are a lot of other places in the state. Uh, you know, we happen to be sitting in Milwaukee but in, but can you just tell me either at the state level or locally just what basically has to happen next in order to create more high quality seats for kids who are right now uh, I just I'm just you know yeah. given given the past year I think um, have lost in many instances a chance for um, a great education blasted. You know a chance in many ways to have a prosperous life I think
2: yeah what has to happen yeah as I was gonna say we spent we spent yeah. a lot of time talking about like the the system constructs and you know who's governing what and charters and, and and like and getting that stuff right or at least getting that stuff better is important right but it you know I, I also you know I would never say that anything that I did or anything that we were doing at the system level is what moved the needle for you know Johnny in seat X at school Y. Um, we could certainly get in the way, we could certainly make it harder, but you know, I think we've got to figure out a way to get the system constructs right, to get more power to those who are closest to an individual student, because they know that kid best. Um, that means getting the funding and the resources to them, that means getting them in the facilities of the quality that they deserve. Um, that means getting high-quality curriculum in the in in the hands of those in, in the hands of those who are closest to kids, and then we got to get out the way. Right, we got to set the standard, hold everybody to that standard, but figure out a way to sort of get all of our conversations about system constructs and vouchers and the charters. Like, we got to get that stuff right. I don't want to dismiss it, but getting that stuff right only sets the conditions for the real work, the real magic that happens between parent and their child between a teacher and their child inside of a school building, inside of a home, wherever learning is happening. Right now, you know, I think our struggles at the system level have kept us all, have distracted us all from that work. Getting teachers who understand students can meet them where they're at, that share their backgrounds, share their experiences, share their life circumstances, or at least have, have the ability to speak to those life circumstances and do the thing that I was trying to do with my daughter, teach them how to read, teach them how to do math. Yeah. So prepare I, them, prepare them to operate in the world, in the world that, that, that's coming. And I know that's, that sounds a little bit pollyanna but I, but I think that. No, I get it.
1: I I I, 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 I had a guy who has been super involved. I really respect him in education, uh, in Milwaukee who, uh, I was doing this, this story that, um, you can find it at our website, which is badgerinstitute.org. Um, and he quoted Voltaire, actually, Class um, and he said, you know, this is uh, not a direct quote, but basically said, you know, uh, you know the world is a crazy, the world is crazy, and I'm just going to tend to my garden. And, yes. like, so, you know, you got all these big systemic issues, but maybe, like, are you better off going and just, like, teaching, not just your kids, but teaching in a classroom, because teachers and principals are so important, and you know, think about that sometimes, but are you, are you going to go back? Are you going to be the, are you going to be the guy who I'm, you know, you're young, you know, are you the guy in five or 10 years that, uh, you know, I'm going to read about who, you know, made systemic change possible in Wisconsin or in Milwaukee, or are you going to go, is your time going to be better spent going back and teaching at the classroom level? Is that, what, is that, what, should we all just be focused on our, on our kids in our neighborhood or our kids in our,
2: in you know, our family
1: I, I, you know what are you gonna do
2: I, I think it takes all I think it takes a village I know it's a little bit tried again but I think my role is probably going to be where I'm at um, yeah. you know, I, I you know, with with you know extreme admiration especially over this last year for those who are in the classroom but I think you know, I I think I'm fortunate to have a set of experiences that, that I can contribute to hopefully making it easier for those who are in those classrooms now to do the work um, and I that's my reward and so that that's that's the work i'm doing now and that's the work i see myself continuing to pursue
1: yeah i really i wish we had a couple more hours maybe you can come back a little bit down the road and we can talk about some of these other issues that came up i'm trying to be respectful of our listeners time but there's just so many there's so many things i want to uh i want to get i want to get your perspective on coleston i I really
2: enjoyed this conversation happy to happy to to continue at any time
1: yeah thanks for coming in and um for what you're doing uh if people want to get a hold of you to talk about these issues yeah. is there a way they can do that yeah
2: certainly uh so you know i'm i'm at city ford collective if you uh, check out our website you'll, you should be able to find us uh i'm, I'm a little bit on social media but but uh, probably best best to reach me uh, through email um and you can it's just uh at a uh, city look forward to having the conversation thanks so much
0: thank you Thank you once again for listening to this episode. And please, if you want to go ahead and spread this message of free dialogue, open discourse, new ideas, topics that do matter to each and every one of us, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you're listening to this show right now. Each and every review and rating matters. As always, I'm Remso W. Martinez from the Badger Institute, signing off.
2: Free Exchange is a Badger Institute production,
0: copyright 2021.